Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I'm Geraldo Rivera. I'm Emily Campagno. And I'm Eric Sean. This is a Fox News Rundown. Monday, February 21st, 2022. I'm Mike Emanuel. Americans are paying much more at the gasoline pump, the grocery store, and on their utility bills thanks to inflation. With President Biden's State of the Union little over a week away, some key Republicans are suggesting it is time to change course. I think the first thing the president ought to do is admit that he's fueled this inflation and start reversing the policies that got us there. I'm Chris Foster. There's outside help for veterans considering suicide that they may not get from the Veterans Administration. It's hard to uh, change something and make it effective, uh, you know, with that broad reach from a central location like Washington, D.C. And then you add, you know, Congress, which has their priorities. And when they don't see something change immediately, they want to change it again. And I'm Guy Benson. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Inflation at a 40-year high is hitting every American in the wallet. From soaring gasoline prices, higher costs in the grocery store, to growing electricity bills. President Biden says he gets it. Look, families are getting clobbered by the cost of everyday things. You know, I know the gas and food prices are up. We're working to bring them down. I grew up in a family where the price of the pump was felt in the kitchen. Everybody knew. Everybody felt it. I understand. While the administration aims to address these concerns, others are sounding the alarm. St. Louis Federal Reserve President James Bullard, during a panel talk at New York's Columbia University, said, You're not in recovery mode anymore. This has gone uh, much, much faster than it did after the global financial crisis. And so it's a very different situation. And this perspective is resonating with lawmakers on Capitol Hill. West Virginia Democrat Senator Joe Manchin continues emphasizing lawmakers should be cautious with government spending. We have basically uh, an economy that's on fire. You don't throw more fuel on the fire. As disagreements over how to manage a recovering U.S. economy, some on the Hill are highlighting inflation's lasting grip on America. Well, I think this last week was more bad news on the inflation front. Wholesale prices increased to twice the rate projected, which means that's likely going to stoke inflation higher and longer. Texas Congressman Kevin Brady is the Republican leader on the House Ways and Means Committee. You know, more than two thirds of Main Street businesses uh, report they're having to pass those increases on to their customers in higher prices. I think the other thing that worries me is that we are either in already or on the verge of a wage price spiral. It's something we haven't seen in a long time in America. It's devastating for families uh, and the economy as well. And at the end of the day, uh, always ends badly, usually, well, always in a recession. And so I'm concerned about that. I also think, you know, our, our inflation measurements really haven't shown everything yet. All those big increases in housing from rents to, to buying homes really hasn't shown up 
in our inflation measurements, and that's about one third of it. So I think that's yet to come. I think with wage inflation accelerating this past half a year, that's another warning sign, red flag on inflation. I think the worst thing Washington could do right now is fuel inflation more, either with more spending or imposing tax hikes on employers, because at the end of the day, that ultimately shows up in higher prices for customers. The Fed and the Biden administration are pledging that they will address inflation with policy. What would you like to see happen from the federal level to ease inflationary pressure here in the United States? Yeah, unfortunately, I think it's too little too late. President Biden and the Fed really fueled this inflation. Uh, You can see it in every graph. It just jumped. It started in March when the president pushed through nearly $2 trillion COVID stimulus, uh, supported by, urged on by the Federal Reserve. So they've been driving this. I think the best thing that could happen now is for them to stop making it worse. So pull back. Any more discussion on build back better and whether it's one and a half trillion or five trillion, it's still going to fuel inflation longer and higher. Secondly, they've got to get rid of these COVID emergency programs that encourage Americans not to reconnect to work. You know, we've got demand fueled by the government and you don't have enough workers, that too is driving inflation higher as well. And so I think the first thing the president ought to do, perhaps at State of the Union, is admit that he's fueled this inflation and start reversing the policies that got us there. We've seen Democrats like Senator Joe Manchin saying tax hikes could be the answer to helping with high inflation. You've been outspoken in your view that tax hikes would have a harmful effect. Tell us why. Yeah, imposing higher tax rates on employers will drive inflation higher. That's because that raises the cost of doing business. And so where does it go? On to customers when you can, which is exactly what's happening. Uh, it goes on to the shareholders and ultimately lands in higher taxes on the workers themselves. So I think the worst thing for a West Virginia or an Arizona or the country as a whole would be to drive prices up higher by imposing higher taxes. Another area of concern for you is the Internal Revenue Service targeting low and middle income earners. Can you explain? Yeah, obviously the IRS has just a historical backlog right now that is harming a lot of Americans. They simply can't get their refunds or even get simple answers. But this past year, you know, they focused their efforts in the IRS on hiring 80,000 new IRS agents, which Congress hasn't yet funded. That bank surveillance scheme, which is really a dangerous invasion of privacy. But they've also last year imposed this $600 Uh, transaction reporting on third-party apps like Venmo and others, those ultimately land on small business people, low and moderate income folks who can use those in their daily life, especially those who are freelance workers, others like that. And so I'm really concerned that rather than address this backlog of tax returns and customer service, The IRS uh, took their eye off the ball and focused on, I think, policies that invade our privacy. And from history, you don't really want a more powerful IRS, right? No, you really don't. The, The IRS has the power 
to destroy through its taxes, through its enforcement. And it sought this past year in ways I've really never seen to enhance that power. And I think wrongly so. The IRS has the belief, Treasury Department has the belief that the tax cheaters in America are not the big corporations necessarily or the highest earners. They're audited pretty frequently. They believe it is uh, small business people, family farms and ranches. They believe those are the individuals that are the tax cheats. And so much of what they're focusing on with all these IRS agents and the bank surveillance is trying to go after those basically middle-income workers for the most part. So it's been frustrating. And the IRS, as you know, doesn't have a good track record. They have been known to target Americans based on their political belief. They uh, don't have a good track record of keeping our private tax returns private. In fact, right now, I think the administration is doing very little to determine what happened when uh, thousands of private tax returns were leaked to ProPublica. I've been following that investigation pretty closely. And at this point, I don't even believe the administration knows what got stolen yet. It's hard to investigate a theft when you don't know what got stolen. Mm. Geopolitical conflicts like the one we could be seeing between Russia and Ukraine closely linked to energy price spikes here in the United States. What kind of impact on oil and energy prices could we expect if an armed conflict in Ukraine comes to fruition? You know, it's difficult to predict depending on just how aggressive the economic sanctions are and how the rest of the world complies with them. That's probably an economic deterrent. Uh, That could work, but it has to be unified when you do it. Certainly, we're going to see disruptions in uh, energy prices and spikes there. We're already heading to very high energy prices because this administration's really suppressed energy production here uh, in the the U.S., but certainly we're going to see higher prices uh, at the pump as a result of that. Let's, again, another reason to be as strong as possible as a deterrent against Russia's invasion. What about Biden administration energy policies? Um, Would we be better protected uh, about energy price spikes if we had continued with being um, such a huge domestic producer as opposed to really going after domestic production? Yeah, there's no question we would be in a much stronger position today. President Biden had not imposed, whether it's the killing of the Keystone Pipeline, all the suppression of energy, American-made energy, transmission lines, uh, exploration here in the United States. Certainly, as our economy was recovering, everyone predicted there would be higher demand for energy. The president just ignored what every economist knew was going to occur. Uh, Secondly, you know, our energy is one of our strongest diplomatic uh, tools, especially the ability to export clean natural gas and U.S. crude oil to our allies to make sure that they're not dependent upon Russia or other bad actors for their daily energy needs. Again, the president really pursued this Green New Deal ideology. And I think right now it has put America in a much weaker position, both in energy and diplomatically. You've been a member of Congress for a long time. You decided this is the last go around for yourself. I'm wondering what kind of reflections you have on your time in Congress and how big things have changed in your years here in Washington, how the climate may have changed over that time. You know, it has changed. Thanks for asking. One, I I still love my job. 
you know, I love who I work with and I, and I'm pretty optimistic that the pendulum is going to swing back and there's going to be new checks and balances on the Biden administration at the end of this year. I've loved being able to work with President Trump on tax reform and, and really making America the most competitive economy in the world. We lifted millions of Americans out of poverty and lifted wages for, for families, for minority families, for the disabled. A lot of people who've been left behind in the old tax code suddenly had new opportunities. So I'm proud of that work and some bipartisan work on retirement, on ending surprise medical bills. Those have been great policies, including trade to work on. But I think right now, look at the House certainly is the most partisan I've seen it this past year with the president. I think that's why the president is struggling, both on his agenda and with the American people. They want to see results. They want to see us work and, and find solutions to issues. And, and that's not happening right now. I do think that those those partisan clouds can part and you can get some blue skies to work on issues. And I think there are many of them, including trade, where America ought to be leading and is sitting on the sidelines. So, yeah, things have changed. I think social media has made it tougher, I mm -hmm. think, for members of Congress to work together. But in the base of Congress, there is a middle class, Mike, that I have a lot of faith in. And they wake up every day trying to do the right thing. And I think uh, if America could see more of that middle class in Congress just working to try to do the right thing, I think they'd, they'd have more confidence. Final State of the Union for you as a member of Congress coming up in a little over a week. Uh, you think you'll feel a little sentimental when you're there? You know, I'm enjoying uh, the answer is yes. I'm enjoying every moment of this final year, uh, every event, both uh, here at home in Texas and uh, in Washington uh, as well. It's been a wonderful ride, to be honest, and uh, and I've, I've loved so much of it. And now I'm just we've got a lot of work. We're still fighting these tax hikes. I'm still leading that charge in, in Washington. We've got a lot of work to do through the end of the year to make sure Republicans win back uh, the House and, and hopefully the Senate as well. So we're not slacking off at all there. But, yeah, I am enjoying enjoying the moment. My sense is you're running through the finish line. Congressman Kevin Brady of the great state of Texas, it's been a pleasure. And I look forward to covering you here in the last lap on Capitol Hill. Thank you, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Thanks, Mike. Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. This is Guy Benson with your Fox News commentary coming up. There were fewer veteran suicides last year than in 2020, continuing a downward trend. But the suicide rate among veterans is still nearly twice as high as non-vets. Retired Marine Cole Lyle says he was close to killing himself after leaving the service, including time in Afghanistan. Instead, he now works to help other vets step back from the brink. Mission roll call, uh, our number one priority is reducing veteran suicide. And our second priority is, is ensuring access to timely and effective care and benefits uh, for veterans. He's the executive director of the nonprofit organization Mission Roll Call. Uh, in 2022, we're conducting a state outreach tour, one state a month, one week in each state, 
um, to uh, to spread the message. But we also do this by utilizing polling and data. Uh, we can get as granular as zip code. Uh, oftentimes, depending on the uh, policy under consideration in, by Congress, uh, we go nationwide uh, and we take that information of the over 1 million veterans that, that we can poll uh, directly to the members of Congress in their district or the committee of jurisdiction, uh, just to educate them about what veterans you know, think about these issues so they can make more informed decisions. I mean, luckily, you guys aren't alone in, uh, in, in what you're doing. Is the VA not doing enough? Why are there so many nonprofits handling this? Well, you know, there's 46,000 nonprofits registered in the United States, and I'd argue probably less than half of them, you know, actually do good, meaningful work in the in the veteran community. Um, the VA is tricky because it's the second largest government agency in, in the United States after the DOD and the first largest healthcare system in the United States. It's hard to uh, change something and make it effective, uh, you know, with that broad reach from a central location like Washington, D.C. Um, and then you add, you know, Congress, which has their priorities. And when they don't see something change immediately, they want to change it again. Um, and that becomes that restarts the whole implementation process and regulatory process at VA. There are just some problems that are not solvable by the VA alone. Like suicide is not a univariable statistic. There can be a lot of stuff that goes into that. Now, the VA loves to say that traditional therapies, um, you know, psychological and pharmacological therapies, you know, which is their bread and butter, essentially, are what is needed, right, uh, in this fight. But history has shown that, you know, it's just not working up to this point. Um, and it's a large organization and they're kind of reticent to embrace more holistic approaches to, to mental health, to suicide prevention. As for the higher suicide rate among veterans, there is a, a theory, and I don't know that it's borne out statistically, maybe you know, that, there, that part of it's PTSD, a large part of it may be PTSD, but it also may be a larger incidence of mental illness among people who enlist or, or who, who end up serving. What do you think? The, the veteran community has to deal with a lot of things that the civilian population does not have to deal with, which is why in those cases you see that um, the veterans in the United States are disproportionately affected by things like suicide. Uh, people join, you know, 80% of uh, the active duty military is enlisted. Um, so they may join straight out of high school. They may go to the workforce for a couple of years and join the military after that. Um, but largely, most of them do it because they want that sense of community. They want the sense of camaraderie uh, that comes with military service. They want to serve a cause that's higher than themselves. And the difficulty when you transition back out and you lose that sense of community because you're not talking to your, your buddies, the men and women you serve with every day, and you lose your chain of command, it can be a difficult transition, um, especially if you're dealing with issues related to service. Um, so again, it's, it's, it's complicated. I don't think that uh, people that join that are enlisted are, are necessarily predisposed uh, to any sort of mental health issues, you know, but, but we want to focus on getting these veterans engaged at the community level, whether that's with their VA, whether that's with community providers, um, and, you know, just learn to overcome the struggles uh, that, they, that they have. Well, I mean, you say that you were almost one of these statistics. You were you were a Marine. You served in Afghanistan, and then you had a rough time when you got out. I'm sure you've told these stories a million times. And forgive me to ask you to, you know, tell it one more time. What was your time like when you got out of the service, and how did your life ended up being saved? 
Yeah, I mean, I joined the Marine Corps straight out of high school. Um, you know, I, same thing. I, I wanted to join an organization um, and and have that camaraderie, right? Um, was an Eagle Scout, had a strong sense of service, so I did that. Went to Afghanistan in 2011, had my issues coming back, uh, transitioned out in 2014, uh, didn't have a job, wasn't in school, was going through a rough divorce, had just lost uh, chain of command and, and didn't have that day-to-day -day connection uh, with folks I served with. And yeah, I, I was at the lowest point of my life and I was about uh, a pound or two of trigger pull away from becoming one of the veteran suicide statistics. And um, you know, my every story is different, right? I had a Marine intervene uh, that night and then the next day decided, you know, instead of looking at this like I have nothing, I'm gonna look at this like I have the opportunity to do anything, right? I wasn't tied down by anything anymore. So I decided to go back to school. Uh, I decided to get involved in um, local organizations uh, to try to, you know, have that sense of purpose and impact again. Uh, found my way to, to DC. Um, I, I still needed to find a way to manage and mitigate my symptoms of service-connected post-traumatic stress. Um, and the pills and traditional therapies weren't work for, working for me and the pills were actually exacerbating the symptoms. Um, so I looked at a service dog and the VA at the time didn't provide service dogs uh, for post-traumatic stress. And um, you know, so I acquired mine at, at my own financial cost, uh, was in DC, not doing anything related. I was interning on Capitol Hill um, and then interning for another nonprofit. And uh, a US Senator stopped me on the street and asked me about my dog because I'm not blind and I don't have limbs missing. So I get a lot of those questions. Um, and I told him what the kind of current status quo was at VA. Um, and that conversation led to me writing the first draft of what was called the PAWS Act, the Puppies Assisting Wounded Service Members Act. Um, I did that and advocated for that in 2016. It was very bipartisan. Uh, then Congressman Ron DeSantis was the one that sponsored my bill. Um, and so we, we had over 200 members of Congress in a very bipartisan way uh, sign on to the bill. Didn't pass that Congress, uh, but actually President Biden just signed that into law um, last August. So that was kind of how I, I overcame my own um, issues and why I have a passion for this. Uh, to this day, uh, you know, I after I started advocating for the Pause Act, I ended up getting a job working for a senator as a defense and veterans policy advisor and then worked at VA. And I still deal with veterans, men and women I served with calling me, especially after Afghanistan last year, um, saying we're struggling. How could we let this happen? I had to talk uh, three folks down from suicide uh, when Afghanistan, the withdrawal was going down. Um, and so it's something that I still deal with on a personal level, uh, but I also have seen kind of the strategic viewpoint of the issue from the congressional and VA side. So it's a it's a unique perspective, uh, but I have a, a great passion for the issue and trying to, to, you know, make it better for veterans in the community. But besides the foreign policy aspect of it, or the military strategy of it, the, the withdrawal from Afghanistan, the people that you've talked to, is there a sense of what what were we doing? This was all for nothing, or was there was there a sense of okay, good, we're gone. Nobody else is going to get hurt there again, or is it a little bit of both? We did a poll of nationwide of veterans, and over seventy five or seventy percent of them said uh, that they were significantly affected uh, mentally by the withdrawal in Afghanistan. So, going into the holiday season, that was a pretty big concern because you usually see a spike in mental health issues and suicides over the holidays. Um, 
but uh, but it was a big concern. There were generations of of, of soldiers and Marines and uh, and sailors who served in World War II, served in Korea, maybe served in Vietnam, who just didn't talk about this stuff. They took it to their grave, unless maybe they were having a few beers at the at the VFW Hall or or whatever it is. Um, I've I've got an uncle who just passed and uh, who served in Vietnam and didn't tell anybody anything. And, and when his dementia kicked in, that's when the PTSD came out and he started reliving it. Um, yeah. Do you think it's better now? that at least some of the stigma is gone? Um, yeah, certainly. I mean, I, I do think that any reduction in the stigma is a great thing. Um, I, you know, I think this isn't just a veteran issue at this point. It's a it's an active duty issue, right? And you're, you're starting to see senior flag officers, generals and admirals come out and um, and encourage people, you know, by example, say, hey, I have to go, uh, you know, take care of some mental health. The the. The thing I always, the analogy I always use, right, is, uh, and it really resonates with veterans, is, you know, the DOD spent all of this time teaching you how to manipulate a very basic weapon system like the M16 or the M4. You know, if the gun jams, do uh, remedial action, uh, do some immediate action, um, you know, clean it, take care of it, all this stuff, do preventative maintenance. Um, and it's a pretty simple, basic weapon system. Why would you not also do that for the most complicated weapon system, which is between your ears? You know, your your mind is a hugely complicated thing. Um, you know, so there's there's no shame whatsoever uh, in saying this is an issue. I need to deal with it and and get back in the metaphorical fight. Well, Cole, it's good to talk to you. I'm glad that um, you found your way and you're helping others um, to find their way. Uh, you can get more information about Mission Roll Call, missionrollcall.org. Cole, thank, uh, Cole Lyle, thank you very much. Yep, thanks for having me on, Chris. Here's a look at the week ahead. Monday. Monday is President's Day, now celebrated on the third Monday of February. It was originally created to mark the birthday of President George Washington and now also honors everyone who served as the nation's chief executive. Since it's a federal holiday, many government offices and schools will be closed. Tuesday. Tuesday will see a rare calendar event with twos dominating. It's being called Tuesday, spelled T-W-O, as we hit the 22nd day of the second month in the year 2022. Las Vegas wedding chapels are expected to see a spike in ceremonies with couples hoping to have a unique or easy to remember day of their nuptials. Thursday. Oral arguments are scheduled before the Texas Supreme Court over a new state law that essentially bans many abortions. Known as the Texas Heartbeat Act, it banned abortions statewide after six weeks of pregnancy. The law has been the center of a number of legal challenges since it was enacted last September. And that's a look at your week ahead. I'm Rich Dennison, Fox News. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. 
Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Find it now on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and foxnewspodcasts.com. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Guy Benson. What's on your mind? In an interview, Dr. Anthony Fauci said that it's still too risky to stop requiring children to wear masks in schools. The reality is it's not too risky. It's never been too risky. Masking in schools of young children has no scientific data to back up the practice as effective when it comes to stopping transmission of COVID among students. But the harms of those policies are becoming increasingly abundant, which is why more and more doctors have come out saying that forcible masking of children needs to end. Much of the world and much of the country has had children in schools without masks for a year and a half without the sort of public health emergency or meltdown that the ultra-cautious, like Dr. Fauci, have wrongly warned about. And Fauci and people like him discredit themselves by clinging to this control for no justifiable reason. Child masking was never an effective intervention, and it is abundantly clear that that's the case. Ignore Fauci and unmask the kids. That's what the actual science shows. This is Guy Benson, host of The Guy Benson Show. Listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up to the minute news, go to foxnews.com. Download and subscribe to original podcast from Fox News Radio. It's time to get caught up on what's happened and what's next. I'm Jared Halpern from Washington. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcast.com. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com.